Let's rock. Let's rock today. And we're back at the Good Bottle Podcast. It's so good to be here and to be rocking and not knowing if I actually was going to be here. But thankfully, my friend stepped up and put out the cry on Facebook that everybody needs to text Drew and keep him awake so he doesn't miss his flight. That's what that's what we're here for. And it worked. That's that's the entire point of Facebook, right? Yeah, it's to hold people accountable when they get drunk on their work trips and they're coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, Miami was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. Rum Congress uh, was an awesome event. Very international. So I did San Francisco's probably about six months ago, and that was great. A lot of rum enthusiasts, uh, and it was it was super cool and fun to hang out with those people. But then with this one, much more of an international presence. You know, just met people from all over the world, primarily the UK. But um, it was it was really cool. Uh, if you guys have not been out to Miami, please go. Uh, I got a couple highlights out there that were just awesome. Jaguar Sun, awesome rum bar, really fun place to, to go. I got to shake my own daiquiri there. I had to explain to the bartender what uh, what a DTO was. And really? Then, yeah, which was surprising because this was a very rum-focused bar, right? Well, and DTO is a very East Coast thing. I'm unaware of its origins, but I'm going to believe you. New York City. Okay. So, this guy didn't uh, know what it, Employees only. Sorry, there we go. Employees only in New York City. Well, then, okay, so it definitely you would think would have translated down to there. But in, in you know... But so the, the bartender understand what, what I was talking about. I was like, so I explained it to him and I was with a group of other bartenders and they hadn't heard of it either. And I was like, it's, you know, it's a daiquiri, they get a daiquiri timeout, right? And so the guy proceeds to make us daiquiris, but he makes us full daiquiris. <laughs> That's great. So for, if, for the people at home who don't know what a DTO is, it's basically just like, it's, it's a daiquiri, but you're doing a shot of it. And it's like, you know, you make like one or two and you can, you get everybody like huddled up. It's almost like a raw, raw situation. You know, when you're in the weeds with your with your other bartenders and stuff like that. So, at one point, the guy's building, you know, five daiquiris. Right? There's five of us that are going to take this. And the guy next to me um, goes, so are, how are you going to shake five at one time? You know? <laughs> and in, like, the most G-moment, the guy just, like, you know, caps all of them. And then hands each shaker to one of us. And then we all shook our own daiquiris at Jaguar Sun. And he's just like, we got to do it. Um, before the boss gets back, so we did that, and that was that was really fun. Um, Esotico is also really amazing. I think it might be one of my all-time favorite tiki bars now. That's a that's a bold statement. It is a bold statement, and I'm very confident in it. Um, they just had a really really awesome drinks. The rum collection is unreal, uh, and the the food was good. The ambiance was great. I don't understand Miami geography at all, but it seemed like we were in a place that like nothing else was around. And so it really like was just holding down that area as like the spot to be at. Um, and their playlist, unbelievable. I know I already talked to you about this. Right, I'm, I'm already following the uh, their disco playlist. I'm yeah. very excited about that. It's, uh, so they did, a, they did a really good job. And then of course, Rum Congress itself was, was really fun. So many cool things there. I got to catch up with a lot of uh, people that that I know in the industry and then also people that I've always wanted to meet in the industry. One of the highlights for me was talking to Maggie Campbell from Privateer Rum, right. which is a rum based out of uh, Massachusetts. And she just has like just a lot of perspectives that I agree with. And so we had this really great talk when I first got there before things got like super crazy. Cause then from that point, um, you know, she kind of becomes like this mini celebrity 
for like the rest of the weekend, you know, as more rum people show up. And there's a, there's a couple of those. Like there's your Richard Seals, there's your Beach Bum Berry. Um, uh, there's, there's a couple people that fall into this category. I'm assuming uh, Ian Burrell was there. He was. Yeah, I yeah. love Ian, man. He's such a good guy. I've, I've, uh, I've traveled with him a, a handful of times. Um, I doubt he'd even remember, but uh, we've, I've always had a great time. He's such a down to earth dude. And I think I think there yeah, knowledge. Yeah, and there was a lot of them like you know hang out with Sam Kong as well. Mm-hmm. It was there was so many like cool people. What I really liked uh, again about her was just just the very like real approach to everything. And at one point we were talking about you know privateer coming out to California, right? And KNL actually does have a couple of barrels coming or oh, already cool. here, so I'm yeah. definitely going to pick up some of those. But when we were talking about it, just in kind of like her general line, because somebody asked, well, can't you just you know get distribution out there? She's like. Definitely could, but when everything is said and done, her bottle price ends up becoming this thing that she's not comfortable with, and she's like, at this price of what it would probably have to be, like I just don't feel like we're there yet for that. And I was just like, what a humble opinion to be talking about your stuff where you have this tremendous amount of respect in the industry that you're just kind of like, my stuff is good, but I don't like it at that price point, you know? Yeah. For like consumers and stuff, and I was just like, whoa, that's such a that's pretty neat. That's such a trip to hear. So, um, you know. If, if you come across it, because I, I finally did get to try it myself, and it is fantastic. It really, really is fun. So we did that actually at, at Jaguar Sun, and it was it was really cool. And, of course, you know you see each other over the next couple of days going to like different events and just running into each other at different places. And then um, I will say that the event was a little long. It was six hours of doing a tasting. And, and it was just standard pours primarily. Yeah, and you know, and people were doing all kinds of crazy stuff, uh, you know, cocktails and you know different things. But it was yeah, just six straight hours of standing there pouring pouring Charanda for people, which was awesome. It was really well received, and you know, hopefully we see some uh, some pull through on that. But then I also got you some stuff while I was there. Oh, thanks, buddy. So uh, we've already given you the the fan menu from um, Sotico, and which was really cool, and they just. Took their menu, you know, laminated it, and got a nice little cut yeah, it's out. Yeah, like it's like old, uh, you know, Southern Church style fan. It's it's great. Yeah, so you can preach the good the good the word good of rum. rum. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then you have also started a uh, pin and button collection here at the shop. So I got I you have. some, I got you some stuff from from uh, Pusser's Rum. So check those out. Uh, so we got a painkiller Pusser's Rum, Pusser's, and another painkiller. How how do we feel about Pusser's now? I uh, has have we collectively forgotten as an industry that they they sued Painkiller uh, the bar? I think I think most have. Okay. Um, I am I'm very like adamant that you have to use Pusser's in your Painkiller. Like it bothers me when I see people not using Pusser's. Sure. You know, partly because of the lawsuit, we're just kind of like, how do you not know this? Um, you know, in those positions of making decisions and stuff like that. But also just because, like, I just, I, even if it's just mental at this point, which it primarily, primarily probably is, is that I was introduced to a painkiller with this spirit. They take it very seriously that it's their cocktail. Like, it needs to be made with pusters. And then, and already, like, you know, that those wheels are turning. So when I do have it without it in there, like, I'm like, like, this sucks. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> like it needs to have it needs to have pussers. These are these are great pins though. The, the, the two pineapples on there. This is great, and I can't wait to put these up on the board. And and really speaking of you know painkillers and keeping it within that realm, um, the Real cocktail ingredients also has this really cool tiki oh. bar pin. Yeah. So that was one I was trying to hold back on yes, so you couldn't see it. And uh, oh, this is great. Yeah. Wow, they did a great job with this. 
This one's not going up on the board. I'm going to hold on to this one. <laughs> Thanks, Sony. So, but for you know, for everyone else who doesn't we'll understand, we'll post some pictures and make people jealous. Yeah, uh, these you can, you can come to Good Bottle and you can like bring different like pins, whether it's alcohol pins or maybe even Disney pins, and you can trade <laughs> Disney pins. That's a big shout out. Yeah, that's definitely well. That's Jason did that over at um, Locked Barrel. He was just like, I'm going to have Disney pins too, and I'm like, okay, whatever you say. Uh, so check those out. And then, um, you know, yeah, like I said, got to meet a lot of really cool people. Uh, it was fun. It was good to have conversations with other people who are familiar with selling rum and realistic about it and just kind of knowing that we definitely operate within this little bubble of enthusiasts. Um, but then I also just met a lot of, like, really cool enthusiasts that are doing their own projects. And there was, like, one guy who at the very end came up and he was just like, hey, so I'm part of this online group and we get – you know, a couple of different barrels from like, from like here and there. And, you know, would you be interested in trying them? And, and it was funny because I was just having a conversation like with um, a friend of mine who works for DDL next to me. How about like, I was like, I'm done with rum. Like I can't do it anymore. Like I've had way too much the last three days. I can't do it anymore. And right as I finished saying that this guy comes up and asked me, and I was just like, I have to, like, because he, you know, kind of put himself out there. He had him in his bag, and he was just like, it's just, you know, a group of us friends, and I got to pick out one of these, and I was like, I was like, I can't. That's so like, fun. Like, yeah, it was really cool, and I can't, like, big league him right now, because first of all, I'm not, especially, like, amongst the people that were there, like, I didn't mean anything, right? <laughs> but, um, so he... Did you tell him you had a podcast? Maybe that would make a difference. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> He'll know now. We're friends on Facebook. Um... But, uh, so... Sorry, I meant the other people. Oh, no, that, yeah. I should have made a sign. But, uh... <laughs> t-shirt. Yeah. Say, we're gonna make t-shirts just say, I Next time, I, I need to be better about the branding stuff when I go no, to No, 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 and we won't even brand the t-shirt that says, well, about what podcast. Or we'll just say, like, I'm just, on a podcast. I have a podcast. Oh, well, actually, I'm very okay with that. That's great. That would be really funny. What if we did, like, the logo on the inside of the shirt at the bottom? Yeah, so, like, you have to small. flip it inside yeah, out. Yeah, to show great. people. <laughs> or, like, you know, the Adam, like, uh, the Billy Madison, like, it's like, this is Frank's shirt, where you have to flip it all the way up. It's lovely. Yeah, so it. I'll do that. So, so anyways, I'm so, so he, he he pulls out these bottles, and um, and was nice enough to share them with me. So the first one was a 16 year old rum from Fiji, which was really fun. You know, super weird and, and all that fun stuff. Was this, it, I, I imagine I, I mean, I've had Fijian rum. I, pretty grassy, right? Yeah, it's that English style, but it, it like it tends to lean a little bit French. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, funky, like Jamaican, but not, but a little bit more grassy, right? I would give, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, it has like this weird, it's almost like distinctive, you know, mm -hmm. and like there's some really bad stuff that comes out of Fiji, but like this stuff mm -hmm. is good. Um, yeah, I've definitely had some stuff that tastes like it was aged in a plastic barrel. Yeah, yeah, and that unfortunately tends to be more so the case than not. Um, so, so he had that, and it was, and it was good. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, the second one he had was one from uh, Worthy Park. I remember, if I remember correctly. Dope. And um, it was, but it was only a two year from them, or maybe it was Money Musk. It was in Worthy Park, Money Musk, but it was only two years, so you don't, you know, see that too often uh, here. But it was great. It was so well done, and it had like, you know, that funkiness that you were expecting, but nothing like crazy. Um, and then the last one he had, let me see if I took a, I took a picture of it. So it was from Mauritius. Hmm. So, and he was like, I just want you to know, this is a very polarizing rum, right? So, so half of our tasting group loved it. The other half hated it. And I was like, I'm probably going to love it. 
because you're tapping into, you know, Drew's wheelhouse right now. And sure enough, I loved it. And it was, it was really good. Where's Mauritius uh, located? I have no idea. (laughs) Hold on. Maybe one of our listeners could reach out to us. Let's, because when he said it, I was just like, I am just not How do you spell it? Uh, M-A-U-R-I-T-I-U-S. Oh, so we're we're some Jamaican. We're uh, more Haitian. We're gonna. It looks like. Let's see here. I'm getting my producer credit right now. And um, where is like a little people hear producer credit? They should know that he's he's literally searching. I'm actively googling his computer. (laughs) I'm actively. Well, he's asked. He's asked Jeeving. So it's a super tiny island. Off of Madagascar? Is Whoa. this right? What? Uh, it looks beautiful, and apparently they make rum. Cool. Um, okay, cool. So that's where that's from. And uh, so he told me, and I'm not going to say who it was, but he was like, you know, I approached person A and person B, kind of like, kind of some of these like pseudo rum celebrities, right? And they really big timed them on the first two. Right, they're like, right, we've had enough of that. We've had enough of this. We don't do it, but we'll try the third one. And they just panned it. They were just like, why would you bottle this and stuff like that? And it was just kind of like, and in my experience with these people over the weekend, which I'll tell you off mic, was kind of similar to this. Where it was just kind of like, like, oh, you kind of ruined the mystique of who you are by actually getting to know you. Uh, um, that's a bummer. It was a bummer, and especially when you have this guy who's like really putting himself out there. And, like, you know, waited till the end and was just like, hey, would you like to try these? And, you know. You know, I've, I've uh, over years and years in this industry, I've had that experience multiple times where, uh, you know, they, you know, that old saying of don't meet your heroes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was. Uh, that's always been a lesson for me of don't be that guy. And I'm sure some people have still had that experience with me where they've met me and they're like, oh, this dickhead. Does not live up to the hype. Uh, or lives up totally to the hype. Um, I, you know, I'll say right now, I feel bad when I don't know you by name, but I still want to know you. Yeah. And I mean, I've had people yell at me from across streets. I've had people like come up to me and I just, I feel bad. I feel like I should know you. That being said, I'm always stoked to meet people. And I'm like... If you come up to me and you're excited to share a thing with me, yeah. I'm excited that you're excited and I want to try it. I'm bummed that those guys are like, oh, too much Haitian rum, too much whatever. Yeah. Like that's, that's, I mean, you might have already had enough, but come on, don't be a dick. Yeah. Okay. So the guy's name was David Curran. We're now friends on Facebook. Um, and so on all their bottles, so they put like the bottle number and they go like non-chill filtered, which I love that. Um, no additives, no added color, no bullshit. That's great. <laughs> it was so great. awesome. Great. And we were talking about it, and like they were all like really affordable. It was like you know like fifty to like eighty five dollars, something like that. Oh, that's great. It's perfect it was like, for them. Well, and like the the seventeen or the sixteen or seventeen was that? Yeah, it was like maybe closer to a hundred. But uh, he was awesome, and I was just like I was so bummed that he had like this really negative experience with these other two people, and you know, and and. I had as well, so like I wasn't surprised at all. Yeah. I was just kind of like, but on the flip side, there were so many people that were like amazing, and then some. Sure, you know. So I don't. Do you know Sly Augustine? Oh, the name is really familiar. Yeah, owns owns a bar in the UK, and he was amazing. You know, I I will give a shout out to uh, one person who. I was afraid of meeting because I'd been burnt so many times by meeting people who I really felt like I would get along with or whatnot. Yeah. But 
I will tell you right now, and he has a podcast, and I'll give a shout-out to that podcast. Because Don't be plugging other people's podcasts. <laughs> uh, fucking Damon Bolte, man. The guy is, out of New York is dope and is so much fun to be around and is just so kind and so cool. Um, I had a blast hanging out with him the handful of times I've ever I've ever hung out with him. And he he put that that don't meet your heroes to rest kind of, you know, for me. Yeah. He reinstilled a little bit of faith in humanity. So, um, so Sly was awesome. And I'm trying to, I, I got a book out right now trying to look up his, his bar because I'm, I'm, I totally freaking forgot. Um, uh, Trailer Happiness in London. Oh, cool. And so I met, actually I met one of his bartenders too and he was super cool. And then uh, Georgie Radev from Lockie Kane. Oh, in the cool. UK as well, mm-hmm. was way cool. I mean, like, total larger-than-life personality and lived up to it, you know? So, um, yeah, just really, really cool people and, and super fun. Um, I just it couldn't couldn't speak highly enough about just that whole event. I thought it was a, it was a really good time. And um, But with that, I know I said I'm sick of drinking rum. That's right. But we made a promise last week, and we got to do... Some comparative tastings. Oh, we did. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot that we even said that we were going to do this. Yes. So what I've done is I have brought the Havana Clubs to today's tasting. And I have brought both versions. Um, Now, I know that there's probably a little bit of confusion out there when when we talk about that. And um, so Havana Club is a Cuban rum, and right. there's 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 two again essentially of these. Now, there it's it's kind of a controversial um, brand because you know it does come from Cuba. So for a long time you couldn't get it in the states because of the embargo, and continue you know with the embargo of the actual like quote unquote real Havana Club, and. Um, and really, it comes down to Bacardi, and then what is it? The, Pernod Ricard, uh, and and Pernod Ricard. So Pernod owns what they what own I the, consider the real Havana Club. Well, they own the they own the Cuban distillery, and then Bacardi owns. Well, they partnered with the Cuban yeah. Yeah, they're a 50-50 partnership. Right, um, the, and Bacardi bought the, the recipe. recipe and produces that. Right, so. And so basically, you know, what you end up having is like kind of like this fight for what, you know, it can actually be called Havana Club. Um, now, during Obama's administration, when things looked to be on like the mend with Cuba, uh, there, there was all kinds of like lawsuits that started to kick up with the, what people perceive as the potential impending legalization or the embargo being lifted. Uh, you know, obviously that didn't come to fruition. So what we're going to do is we're going to try the Havana 3 and the Havana 7 against the Havana um, Blanco and the Havana Añejo. From... Uh, yeah, the 3 the three and the 7 respectively are part of the Cuban uh, distillery and the Blanco and Añejo uh, are part of the Pernod Ricard, um, sorry, are part of the Bacardi lineup. Yeah, so I, I know that we told you guys that we wouldn't be drinking so many spirits next time, but I figured since we're doing more comparative this time, it's not like we're we're not going to hopefully take up too much time. But we'll start with the lesser of the two. Um, hold on, don't open those yet, because I want to make sure we don't fuck this up. <laughs> All right, so 
On my right is... <laughs> See, this is where you're going to screw it up. People don't care if it's on your right or left. I know, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself. Um, so actually, I'm going to do that for you as well. <laughs> so we can have like... All right, a, sorry, a, people at home. Yeah. So on the right is... is or is in that, your car. Is in the Bacardi. And then on your left is the Pernod um, uh, variation. Cuban. The Cuban version. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll tell you right now, uh, there's a color difference between between the two. Um, the uh, Puerto Rican Havana Club um, fra- is crystal clear, and the Cuban uh, three-year has a tinge of a hue to it. Yeah, well, then, and it's, you know, and I don't believe that the, the Havana Club from Bacardi gets any, gets any aging whatsoever. It has to. If it's it's because it's considered Puerto Rican rum, it must be aged at very least a year in wood. Oh, um, well, that's Puerto Rican law. So, well, there you go. Um, so, you know, and that's uh, that's one of those things that cracks me up when people are talking about um, Cristalinos uh, for agave spirits, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, look at this new thing that we've done." And it's like, it's not new. Puerto Rico's been doing it since the 1920s. <laughs> it's not not that impressive. I mean, it's fun, but fine. And it's actually it's it's become kind of like a more aggressively, like fought among thing for agave drinkers is that people really, really like have come to like despise some of the cristalinos for more of like your tequila aficionados. Sure. Yeah. Well, know. it's just silly. Yeah. Um, I I don't I don't despise it. I just find it funny. Um, okay. Cool. So, uh, which one are we tasting first, Drew? Let's do Let's do the uh, Bacardi. Let's do the Puerto Rican first. Okay. Dry, creamy, um, buttery. Yeah, very much so. It's very soft. Mm-hmm. It was soft on the nose as well. Not really a whole mm-hmm. lot of aromatics coming off of it. No, but it's, I mean, it's that classic Puerto Rican rum um, flavor, like profile, right? All right, uh, Havana Club. Mm. Fruitier, still creamy. Um, a lot more body. A lot more body. My guess is if uh, if this is a, I don't know if uh, the Havana Club from Bacardi is aged three years, just like uh, the Cuban Havana Club. Uh, so that that would be because the Havana Club in uh, the Cuban Havana Club tastes older to me. Yeah. Yeah, well, if and we're trying to find a little bit of information on it, and it was just like you know, right off the bat, the Puerto Rican style is like the real Havana Club. You know, that's the web, that's the name of their website. Oh, sure, right. the real Havana Club uh, dot com. Yeah, and you know, it was kind of a shame because this like really is like such a fun brand. I mean, it was um, it was started in 1934. It was nationalized after the Cuban Revolution in 1959, and then Pernod Ricard came into the 50-50 deal with the government in '93. Um, and then Bacardi uh, started producing their own in 1994. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's controversy and this fighting goes back, you know, as soon as it could possibly happen. Um, yeah, since 1994, Cuban production and non-U.S. global marketing of Havana Club has continued under a joint partnership with Pernod. So it's like this is something that you can get, you know, everywhere else. And what I, you know, always tell people is like if they're ever going to um, Mexico or anything to uh, – 
get me a bottle and duty free. Yeah, know, any foreign. It's sure. like always oh, any foreign country. Yeah, it's just like I yeah. I will uh, I want that mm-hmm. um, as much as I can possibly get. I actually prefer in terms of the like the the lightly aged stuff from Cuba. I actually prefer Santerra. I don't know if you've ever had Santerra. I love that stuff. Yeah, it sounds great. It's so good. So I actually try to have people find that. But that one you can't find in Duty Free. So I heard a dirty little rumor, and uh, it is it is dirty little rumor. <laughs> so let's not say, let's not claim it to be fact in any way uh, until we get someone who has firsthand knowledge of it. But I've heard it rumored that Bacardi is one of the largest uh, um, proponents to keeping the embargo going i mean that would make sense mm-hmm. wouldn't it mm-hmm. for them to keep this they, version out of the united states yeah, they have a lot of they have a lot of money it's even though it's a even though it's a family-owned company i mean bacardi's a behemoth yeah uh, so they have money to be able to spend on lobbying for that right um, yeah so Which would it, be a shame. It, it barely holds up right uh the if you if if we stick with common sense ruling the day it holds up to the common sense law. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to make sense, um, especially since since Bacardi was, um, you know, directly impacted as a family by the Cuban Revolution. Mm-hmm. I could I could see them not not really liking uh, uh, the communist country being welcomed with open arms into America. So yeah, and uh, so and just I mean, and of course, like we've seen the marketing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be a rum drinker to know that. That happened to Bacardi because they mention it every That's single right. time you see a commercial. Yeah, yeah. It is important though to know, note, because some people don't know Puerto Rico is part of America. It's not another country. I mean, some people want it to be. They want it to be. They also there are Puerto Ricans who want to be fully, either one way or another. Right? Let them have their own independence and yeah. be be their own country, or yeah. be welcomed in to U.S. as a state. Yeah. So okay. So now, with all that said, for the whites, like or the lightly aged, if you will, what did you prefer? For the lightly aged, uh, my preference was with the Cuban three year. Mm. I'm with you on that, and it's you know it's hard, right? Because it's got, it's got a little bit more character to it, um, a little bit uh, more well rounded. Uh, that you know, and who knows? It, this is rum. I you know. Uh, I don't know if there are additives in there, whatnot. Um, I'm sure, you know, proponents of one would say yes to the other, right? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of hate speech going on between these two brands. Yeah, and they're in, in they're they're very similarly priced as well, mm-hmm. so they're not very expensive rums. No. Um, you know, so it's, you know, you're gonna you kind of give it to you what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Now, so we moved on to the age experience one. So um, with the aged ones. These are these are nosing very similarly. You know, to looking I'll, at I'll say that the uh, the so this is probably age three years. It says mm-hmm. one to three. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cuban seven year looks darker, but as we both know, that doesn't mean very much because of coloring and what have you. Right. Um, so. So uh, what's the know, what's the proof difference on these? Uh, we got forty and forty. I'm assuming. Yep. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. It tastes like I mean the Havana Club. It tastes at least very the 
Sorry, the uh, Perno. No, the Puerto Rican. The Puerto Rican. The Puerto Rican. The Puerto Rican Havana Club. At least in my memory bank, tastes very much like the Bacardi Eight Year. Uh, that Havana Club Seven tastes the Cuban. Um, Fruitier, but I get more sweetness on the Puerto Rican one. Like I get like sweetness, but then this one, like yeah, I think fruity is like kind of a good way to put it, but without being mm-hmm. like overly sweet. Yeah, and thin. The um, the Puerto Rican is thinner. Well, I for what it's worth, I like the Cuban more. Yeah, which I think we kind of felt was going to be the case. And again, you're also you're comparing something. Maybe it would be more appropriate to compare the three to the like a three of the cuban to the to the sure but you know bacardi has has lined this up as as being the equivalent right to the three and the seven i mean right it's not like we we pulled those out of our asses just two (laughs) random ones right this is this is what they're saying are are equivalent right that's true so um so there you have it controversy over i pretty i'm pretty sure everyone's gonna fall into this same mindset yeah i mean it's not i mean the puerto rican's not bad rum by any any stretch you know bacardi makes good rum right they they just do there's a reason why it's as as big as it is right it's good yeah i I totally agree with you there Uh, Uh, i mean i've heard havana club tends to be really inconsistent which i don't really have any personal experience with i haven't consumed enough of it to say one way or another right i mean i definitely have like like i said i try to you know backstock as many as i possibly can mm-hmm. with like people in their trips and my personal trips i'm oh like if i if i take any international like, like so far like i'm buying this on like no matter what doesn't matter how many yeah. i have because yeah. i can always gift this to somebody or anything like that um, yeah it's definitely one of those appreciated uh things because it's you can't get it in the u.s yeah you can't get it so it's um so there so there's that so you know go out and if you can um, try yourself some Havana Club or like flag one of us down. I'm always I'm always willing to share the Cuban version because it is a lot of fun and it's you know it's just a really great value. Yeah, I've got the seven for, year at home for, too. So if anybody anybody feels like uh, drinking with me, no doubts. No, we do enough of that here. That's fair. Yeah, so that holds up. <laughs> well, now we're gonna get into our uh, our headlines part of the show, and um, we're gonna start off with. Uh, Southern just recently announced that they're going to be expanding their relationship with Beam Centauri. Um, and basically, they're going to be increasing the distribution of Centauri's uh, products up to like 43 different markets. So they were at, I think it was like 30, 34. And now yeah, they're so up to they've 43. expanded into more states. So, you know, and it's not necessarily that we want to talk about this specific thing. Um, to me, it in most cases, it makes sense to have as much of your product with one distribution house because it just makes life just a little bit easier knowing that you're like, okay, we deal with Southern in this state, we deal with Southern in this state, we deal with Southern in this state. Um, now, that's not always the case. I don't always agree with it. I think if you get into like with some suppliers, it makes sense to break up your portfolio. So, for example, like if you have a, um, a distributor who's in particular, very good at certain at selling certain items, and you have one of those in your book. Like I understand, like working with different people and stuff like that. Um, in this case, because you know Beam is such a huge, just behemoth of a of a supplier, 
it makes sense for them to go to their to Southern Glazer, which is the biggest yeah. uh, distributor in the yeah. United States, hands down. And so, what it was, what this is all kind of leading into is talking about distribution in the United States and really the the three tier system. Right. So, the three tier system was uh, created after the end of Prohibition, and I guess the the intention of it was to kind of eliminate organized crime to a certain degree no yeah really what what it came down to was pre-prohibition large brands were buying entire bars so Mm. i would you know um what we would see historically is a bar owner or prospective bar owner would go to you know schlitz and say hey schlitz i want to open a bar pay for it for me and i will only sell Schlitz. Right. So it was removing uh, any sense of competition in a, in a bar. So only only the big boys could play. Uh, you, in fact, you, we still see that with Coca-Cola uh, or Pepsi when it comes to um, soda guns. Yeah. You know, it's, hey, come in, install this soda gun for me, and I will only use your brands. Right. Now, that's a, it's a little bit different because... Technologically speaking, there aren't really small brands that put sodas in in a bag in a box. Right. You know, so you're really only dealing with Pepsi or, or Coke. Or yeah. Coke. Um, and and that's also different because it's not booze. But you know, I digress. Um, <clears throat> so in theory, that worked, right? In theory, it increased competition in in our given markets so could, just to bring it back a little bit because we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves is the three-tier system is your producer your distributor and then your retailer yeah so okay. the, the maker the distributor the seller and the seller yeah well i mean like you know that's and that's what was put into place um in order to increase this competition and stuff like that and from that point, it was then put onto the states to where it's like, hey, now you're going to control this. This is kind of the system that we want to see. But now the states are in control of that. And um, actually, just through looking this up, um, there is only one state in the United States that doesn't require a three-tier distribution. No shit. Do you know what state that no, is? No, I had no idea. I thought it, I thought it was a, um, a federal law. No, so it's it, they leave it up to the states in order to make these decisions. Now, what I think is interesting is that it still very much so is a thing in this state, even though nobody's required to abide by it. And so that means that your suppliers, you know, your producers can go in and negotiate volume discounts, warehouse, wherever they want, all this different stuff. And it is the great state of Washington. Which I've heard really is a horrible place to get spirits. Yeah, so. yeah, I have too. Well, you know, or uh, uh, that's really interesting because I know that. Well, I know that years ago there was a big controversy with with them being a control state. Control yeah. state being that the state was who who controlled the state took the distribution right uh, responsibility on. Right, and which can be really frustrating for Texas is a for, control state, yeah, for consumers. Uh, Pennsylvania's and, control state, 
because you're not necessarily like you're not able to run your business exactly how you want to run it. You know, if you're a liquor store, if you're a bar, like you can only get stuff through state rent stores. Now, most of the time you can request that these stores get this stuff. But, you know, with anything that comes to the government, it's going to take a little bit longer. And sometimes they just don't get stuff, you know, per different allocations, different like really like small craft things and things of that nature, um, which can make control states very frustrating for people to deal with and to, you know, to do business in. Um, but you know, and, and now kind of coming back to what your original point was and what the, the invention of the three tier system was designed to do and to increase competition and kind of get rid of some of these, um, you know, unfair advantages that, that people are able to put into play. Uh, it has to in, a certain degree in theory, but there's still very much so that that goes on. And there's this gray area uh, that happens within the alcohol industry where you do have money being funneled into spots and stuff like that. I know I run into it constantly Yep. where it's like, hey, we really like your product, but so-and-so does this. And Yeah, card know, swipes. Card swipes, yep. um, slushy machines, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't. I will go on record saying I don't have a good answer for this. Right. I, I believe that marketing dollars are necessary and marketing dollars, you, you know, and that's often how, how brands will go around. Well, that's that's yes, definitely what right. it is. It's, yeah. it's the workaround is by hiring mm-hmm. a marketing company mm-hmm. to go and promote your product and you just dump an ungodly amount of money onto them and it's like, use this how you see fit. Sure. Because it's not the brand that's paying for it, it's the marketing company. Right. So there's how you circumvent this law is that like, oh, we're not the one that bought this. We're not the one that swiped our credit card like the marketing company did. We can't tell the marketing company how to run their business. Like we just pay them to do our marketing and yeah. that's what ends up happening. And and I and I certainly don't blame people or, or have the answer either. Because, you know, if someone was to come to me, like, we're going to give you X amount of dollars to do this, like, okay, like, I don't have to do anything else. The the problem, like, that I run into is just that then there's just times that I just, I can't compete. Yeah, and the, the point is that smaller brands then, again, who are supposed to be on an equal playing field are just not. Are, are not. Yeah. My, fa- my favorite thing is the commentary between, like, you know, at least in California, between the bigger distributors who say the other distributor does it, we don't. And they both say the same thing about Oh, each yeah, other. I love that. It's so funny. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, well, we would do this, but they, you know, so-and-so went and, you know, bought that and only do it those things. And it's just kind of like, they say the exact same thing about you, right. you know, that you guys yeah. go in and you buy programs and you do that. So, I mean, it can definitely be discouraging, but I think that's, you know, that's where your relationships come into play, having good product, having product knowledge, you know. Product, I think... I think what it comes down to, really, that the only answer is consumer and in on-premise offers. You know, on-premise being defined as the the point of sale. So the point of sale knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, me as a salesperson having that knowledge and knowing the difference and being uh, active and eager to give my my customers something different. Yeah. Versus, you know, uh, just saying whatever gin is gin, rum is rum. Here, just take take a gold rum. Which, you which know, honestly, this is like really smooth. Which a, a lot of you know, <laughs> I do know reps that are like that, that they don't understand 
why a bar needs more than like eight spirits you know like that is i've like literally heard them say this yeah you know and it you know it's a bummer and it's a disservice to everybody else and you know it, it but i also think that that's also what makes me good at what i do and why i stand out amongst reps is because i actually know something about what i'm selling mm -hmm. and it's not just some focused item that we're able to you know turn and burn a bunch of stuff yeah with, so let's you know. let's back up let's let's talk about the the issues with with three tier where, where that sort of falls short i mean we've touched on it with marketing dollars right so the brands larger brands will pay marketing companies in order to get a lot stronger foothold within within the market so yeah that that creates that um uh, dichotomy between smaller craft brands and larger uh, macro production brands yeah. that can afford to do that sort of thing. Right. Uh, also, brands can um, incentivize distributors. Right. Right. So within Southern, the distributors then go on focus. Right. Right. So Bacardi says, hey, this this month only because it's sitting right in front of me, we're pushing Havana Club. Yeah. And we want we want to see cases move. Right. If you as a distributor, as a salesperson for the distribution company, can hit this amount of accounts, you hit your KPIs, your key uh, your key point indicators. Or key performance key indicators. Key performance indicators. Yeah. If you can hit your KPIs, we will fly you to Puerto Rico. Right. We will give you $1,000. Yes. That's a bonus. Right. <clears throat> Um, then all the other brands within that distribution company don't go on focus. That's not what people push. Right. Right. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of, you know, hurt there. And I think it's one of my favorite things to do is, you know, sit in a bar at the end of the month and just watch people one after, one rep after another come in and ask for that favor, you know? No. Oh, yeah. Can you take that one bottle? I'll come back and buy it next yeah. week or whatever. And, you know, like, and again, like it's, it's something that we poo poo, but it's also something like it makes sense like you know from all different from all different companies perspectives you have a product you want to move it i'm sitting on a product i want to move it yeah right yeah all these things they make sense then to incentivize getting rid of it the issue though is that the small guy can't keep up right right you can't you can't incentivize that movement yeah and i think you know for a lot of those small guys too i mean if you if you take into account like southern has a system where if you do less than x amount of um sales in a year they just automatically drop you now you yeah know? well and the, the other issue is with some of these distributors is you know southern youngs um you know any of them really you run into warehousing issues yeah. so how much do you keep on hand yeah you know and then that becomes an issue with okay me as a point of sale can't get certain things from a distributor or sorry from a supplier that you are supplying or that right. you that you carry yeah and so you're trying to stand out and then you know to to the credit of these distributors what they do is they'll set up like trade shows and stuff like that the problem with those is then you know so let's say someone does an artisanal show and phrases it as such do you walk into this Hi, Drew, whatever could you be speaking of you walk into this artisanal <laughs> show and you see these major brands because they were the ones that could afford to be there because you have to pay fees to, to present your brand that your distributor sells for you at these shows. Right. You have to pay to be there. So again, like you're asking these you know smaller brands to go in and then 
you know, if you if we completely remove the whole issues with the distributor out of this, you know, when you do have small brands, like the fact that, you know, you can you can produce this product and you can make this like labor of love, which a lot of these guys are doing, but you can't go out and like sell it yourself and remove that second tier, which inevitably adds more cost to your product. Like that's tough. That's hard. Yeah, know? that's tough. Now I and I and I do see that, that. I mean, you can. It's just once you sign that, once you sign that agreement with the distributor, there are so, you know there are some independently distributed brands. Yeah, they exist. And then when they but when they want to but there's only like there's obviously so much reach that you can. Yeah, there's have only so and, much bandwidth and, and that you can have. Depth. And where a lot of them end up making mistakes is that they don't price their stuff with that second tier pricing in mind to start off with because they're trying to get into market, right? So when they do make that switch and that price does go up $10 or whatever, it's just like, oh, well, now you have a really hard time selling this because you built up this following at this price point. Sure. Didn't consider it and now you're there. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately I think there's there's some good, there's some bad, but that is the three tier system. Let's move the hell on. Let's talk about... Veganism inspiring drink brands to innovate. So we're back on that innovation tip. We're back on that innovation because you guys know how much we love to innovate within this industry. And um, so just reading through this article uh, that we that we came across and talking about these different brands and um, just some of the verbiage that you're seeing. Um, like one of them, for example, is Bailey's launching um, on Monday. Is that what we're going to call it? And it is yeah. a almond milk almond know, with e at the end. Yeah, with um, you know for for their cream liqueur, then they're using almond instead to make it a little bit more vegan friendly. I think that's kind of cool. It honestly, is. I'm I'm really interested in tasting it. Yeah. So you, so you had that. It's been out for mm-hmm. a healthy amount of time. So has it since 2017? I, see, I wish I'd known. No yeah. one. Had, again, this comes into distribute distributors. Then I who knew? I didn't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. So um, then you had, so I did find the year in 2006, Campari actually changed its artificial color in an effort to eliminate animal byproducts from its process. That's right. Um, there was a UK based brewery and pub chain called Brewdog that opened its first 100% vegan pub in London in October of 2019 in accordance with their mission to make craft beer as inclusive as possible. However, the brewery already served vegan options, or so did vegan options at all its other locations, and then they came out and said, well, 95% of our beer was already vegan. So so there's that. Uh, and of course, this, this affects cocktails as well. Uh, you're starting to see um, people, you know, using, making ingredients from scratch to ensure that no animal products are being used in their products, such as sugar or base wine to make an authentic Bloody Mary, for example. A bartender could produce a vegan-friendly version of Worcestershire sauce, which contains anchovies in its traditional form. Yep. So, so there's so there's things like that, and um, you know, I understand I understand the movement. I also feel that, and and this mostly stems from like this brewery who created this vegan option, even though the fact that they were like pretty much already vegan. So that to me strikes me as more of like kind of jumping on a trend as opposed to like totally. And as opposed to just like totally. doing it like for ethical reasons, mm-hmm. you know. And I and I also really I also really enjoy well, maybe, that conversation. I mean, maybe if they were already there, if they were already ninety five percent of the way there. Yeah. Why not? Why not follow through on the final 
five percent and just put forth forth that effort. Yeah. My other question is when they're opening a brew pub, that means then if ninety five percent of their beer was there, then now they're just serving food that also exists there. Well then let me ask you this. So, you know, there's um there's a lot of cocktails that have egg white mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the substitute that they offer here is called aqua Aquafaba. Aquafaba, which yep. is the water in which legumes, often chickpeas, yeah. are cooked. Yep. Um, so you're able to use that instead. Yeah, and... there's lots of lots of different protein that, that you could use to create that um, that sort of starch. I know, um, you know, if you if you cook rice, you can take that water, use use some of that. Sometimes it has a very different texture, very different feel. Yeah. Um, uh, all of those things are things are, are ways that you could play with this. Yeah, and I think that you know the reason I wanted to bring this up and just citing some of the numbers that they are bringing up in this article. For example, in Great Britain um, in 2016, the number of vegans was about 150,000. 150,000 people mm-hmm. were considered themselves vegan. Fast forward to 2018, so this number has grown since then. That number is now up to 600,000 people wow. identify as vegan. Um, so if you're if you're in a bar, you're working at a bar, you're working in a liquor store, you're inevitably you're getting those questions, you know, like what do you have that's vegan or is it vegan and, and stuff like that. And I think it, you know, and it creates really interesting conversations with, um, you know, within spirits production like uh mezcal for example with pachugas so pachugas traditionally made with hanging meat over the distillate well now you have the quote-unquote vegan pachugas which are using like fruits and different Mm -hmm. botanicals and stuff Mm -hmm. like that well i think also the difference is that it's getting labeled that way now versus some of it was already happening just that way Right, and that and that's and that and maybe it's more so like in the descriptors, right? Because yeah. well, it's like, like using using fruits and different botanicals in mezcal is not something that has come through this vegan movement. That's no. something that's always been, but now I mean it's even starting to extend to a certain degree where it's like, oh, you use a tahona? Does a horse and/or donkey pull that tahona? Yes, you're not vegan now, and it's just kind of, and that's how. Well, that's know, like calling like honey, whether or not honey is vegan or not, you know, and I. I don't know. I, I'm not vegan, very much so. I ate bacon last night. I fucking love it. <laughs> but I respect the hell out of people who are vegan, either A, for uh, health reasons, yeah, uh, or B, for ethical reasons within yeah. reason. Yeah, and I, and I and I'll say for myself, like I've I've made more of an effort to to eat more vegetables and more vegetable based meals and are a lot more open to it because of health reasons. I fall I where where sort of the more militant vegan movement loses me is when you bring up uh, cultural or you know you know human ethical issues with certain things that people vegans will eat like quinoa. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't eat quinoa. Why is that? Uh, because the American consumption of quinoa has risen so greatly that uh, civilization in Peru that's subsisted off of this superfood for hundreds of years yeah. can't afford to do it. And now they're struggling with their dietary issues because they're growing it and they have to sell it and they can't eat it. Um, so they're, 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 
we're tapping out this resource yeah, it's, because it's of like this movement. And that's trendy. That's like one thing that I guess for myself on more of a personal level, what some of the issues I've had with like with the that vegan movement and stuff like that is that to a certain degree, I feel like it's this this diet that almost comes like because you have the privilege of eating whatever the hell you want and it's available. Um, I actually had a very interesting Uber ride while I was in Miami with this guy who was from Venezuela and has been in, has been in the United States for three years. And I was just talking to him and I love talking to Uber drivers about like the places they like to eat, right? And, you know, find it out. Because that's my real vice when I vacation. Like, I want to sure. eat as many cool places as I possibly can. And I'm talking to him about it and he goes, you know, and if you're, and if you want something that's kind of nice, but is, is vegan, you know, there's a place called Plant. It's really, really cool. So, and it was funny a little bit later in the conversation, was like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm vegan. So I was just like, cool. <laughs> like, you know, that, or he actually did, we got a little bit more into it and he was Presbyterian, but um, I, I did ask him, I was like, well, when you were in, cause we were talking about the Venezuelan diet, he was, it's a lot of meats. You yeah. You eat a lot of meat in Venezuela. And I was like, so were you a vegan then? And he was like, no. I was like, oh, so it came, it was you coming yeah. to America, having all these like. Well, but I don't see, I don't see the problem with that. I mean, I'm just saying, if you if you are if you are blessed enough to live a slightly healthier life, and that that's the way that you choose to do it, right? By all means, take advantage of it, and I I'm not gonna poo poo the way that you decide to do that. And I'm with you on that. Often people are held to this standard by vegans are just kind of like you're a piece of shit and stuff like that. It's like well sometimes that's all you have available to eat to you yeah and you're in this position where I'd you can it, where you can still... be choosy where you can kind of be like you know what i'm not gonna have that burger because i have this availability to me instead of being like well i'm starving so i'll literally take like yeah i would say that that's that's more of like the pita route of of militant veganism well and i see it versus I the, see it every day the commonplace vegan yeah you know, and I get I get thrown into that as well because I'm gluten free, right? You know, and well, super are, frustrating to eat with. <laughs> people are people often say that I'm you know spoiled and when I'm like, oh, it's a, you know, it's not my fault. It's my gut's fault. Yeah, uh, I can eat it. I can eat it, and I do eat it when I travel. Yeah, which says more about how we grow and consume that here in this country. Right, and I don't know what that means, but it's. A little terrifying to me right you know so yeah i you know uh dietary needs or restrictions do have national borders yeah and so ultimately to kind of refocus this on you know if you're if you are running a bar like this you know these are things that if you want you can have those options it's, you know, just do a little bit of research because you're just having that available to people is nice, you know. I, it's another tool in the tool belt. Yeah, you know. And, and I, I, there's, I don't think that you should shit on it. I don't think that, uh, you know, it deserves to be made fun of, except for the absurd, right? You know, ends of it. And that's uh, oftentimes in our industry, we take anything new and we shit on it. We right. Go, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know. But really, I'm all about inclusivity, allowing people to feel. Like, they have a place in the social milieu, I think is great. And that stems from non-alcoholic cocktails to gluten-free cocktails to uh, and to vegan cocktails to, you know, bacon in a Bloody Mary or bacon-washed fucking bourbon. You know what? We're all on this, on this earth together. Let's just hang out and have a good time. 
There are people that do deserve to get made fun of, though, and we will actively do it when they rear their silly little gopher heads out of the dirt. <laughs> All right, so be vegan, just don't be annoying. Yeah, about just it. don't be a dickhead. Yeah, and that just goes to everything, not just not just vegans. Um, and then our last thing is not necessarily a. Um, it's not, a, it's not a headline, but it is a publication that I want to cover. And this past weekend, I um, was finally able to get my hands on a copy of Minimalist Tiki by Matt Petrick and Carrie Smith. Matt Petrick is the uh, writer who does the cocktail work page. Yeah. And is, for me, an absolute go-to source. Um, a guy who has always been extremely gracious to me as well. So one of the good guys uh, that I got to meet. And I actually met Matt for the first time back in San Francisco. And I told him, I was like, hey, I really want to buy a book from you today. So let's just make sure that happens at some point. And uh, like these events get, they just got crazy. And then I wasn't able to do that. So this time around, I saw him at the beginning of the event. And I like just straight left my table and was like, I'm buying a book right now. Do you take Venmo? What is the case? He's like, no, I have a square on my phone. He like pulled it out right there and we did it. And, um, and he actually has this really cool thing where uh, he set up a competition and I can't remember what the prize is, but throughout this book, he's got bartenders that contributed cocktails and bars and stuff like that. And so I was sitting there and I just put the book on the table and Marie King came up to me and she was just like, hey, do you want me to sign my page? And I was like, hell yeah, I want you to sign your page. And then she reminded me of the competition. And so then for the rest of that time, there was a lot of people representing different parts of, of the world and who are in this book that like went and signed it for me, which was really What is that competition? Which is really cool. I don't remember what like the stakes are, but basically you have to go and get this thing signed by like all the contributing bartenders. And I don't even know if the bar, like, cause there's a bartender section and then there's like just like, an overall bar section sure. that is also promoting it. And so, um, but it's it's a pretty intense task because there's a lot of people and they're all over the world. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, so it's really cool. And, and I'll do some follow-up. I'll be part of the housekeeping next week on exactly what like that prize ends up being. But as I was going through the book and I saw some, like, you know, you see some friends in here and you're like, like, oh, cool. I can I could run out of San Francisco. I can say what's up to Doc. I'd be like, dude, sign sign the book for me, you know? But then I'm like, when the hell am I going to be in Vancouver to talk to so-and-so? Like, you know, so um, I think, and they even said, I remember the original post, it was just like, because it was on, you know, the social media was like, you know, we anticipate this taking a very long time, you know, to get to all these different places. But it was cool. And um, so basically what, you know, Tiki can be a very daunting task, right? Just between... Yeah, a deep rabbit hole. Between the ingredients, the interpretations um barware like all this different stuff that goes into tiki is like really really intense um so i believe you know with with matt's approach to this it was like how do you take this crazy crazy thing and condense it down as much as possible so you can make it a little bit more approachable and um so what i want to talk to you about because because we're into lists now <laughs> in your list because you're into and <laughs> in, you're into interpretations of them he did the Minimalist Tiki Classic 30. That's right. So these are 30 cocktails that he thinks are essential to the Tiki tiki movement and um, and all of that. I'll say before you get into it that, yeah. uh, that 30 cocktails or 30 drinks for Tiki makes sense. Yeah. There's uh, a cocktail list, specifically a cocktail list, right? 
uh, or let's say a style of drink list. Yeah. In which um, sort of every every drink Mr. Potato Head's into, for the most part. Yeah. You know, um, of which I think uh, Gary Regan uh, created that, and I think it's only fifteen. So for Tiki to have 30 is both impressive and totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So so we're not, you know, completely and there's you know there's a couple caveats in here that, you know, I'm going to tell you to go and buy his book so you can you can uh, support him. But he has a couple caveats in here, but I'm going to read you the list and we're going to kind of just get your um, uh, reactions to it. Let's go. So, right off the bat, 151 Swizzle from the 1940s. Oh. Cool. Right out, yeah. And so and also I guess before we a lot of these ingredients, like, they translate to other drinks. And so that's what makes it, like, you know, once you kind of have all these, like, it, they all connect, right? Yeah. Like, you can make a bunch of these drinks with kind of, you know, a, a relatively small ingredient list, even though it's tiki, so nothing small. As long as, long as it's well curated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bali Bali. Do you know what that is? I don't know Bali Bali. Okay. The Bolo. Yeah, Bolo. Yummy. The Chief Lapu Lapu. I don't know Lapu Lapu. This is great. I'm like... I mean, you're only batting 500 right now. <laughs> so uh, I've seen it on a list, and I don't know if I've had it. Maybe, maybe at Swagger's Cove, I've had it and just don't remember because I was already had three others. Yeah, <laughs> well, we've all been there. Uh, Cobra's Fang from 1937. Don't know it. Uh, the Coconut Grove. Yep. The Doctor Funk. No. Donga Punch. No. We have to look that up. <laughs> the Eastern Sour. It sounds familiar. Uh, anyway, continue. El Diablo. Yes. It's, okay, uh, we're going to hit a hot streak with you right El, now. El Diablo is is the drink that my wife and I have at home. When she's like ready for a drink, Yeah. as long as I have cassis, otherwise it's margarita, but as long as I have cassis in the house and ginger beer, El Diablo is all day long. It's happening. Yep. Okay. Uh, the Fog Cutter, 1940s. Yeah, love it. Hurricane from 1940s. Sure. The Jet Pilot from 1958. Yeah. The 1944 Mai Tai. Mm-hmm. Definitely a big fan of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Montego Bay. Montego Bay. The Mr. Bali High. No. Uh, Navy Grog. Yeah. Painkiller. Yeah. Touched on talk. extensively today. Yeah. Which is great also. Painkiller is one of those drinks that I, I make for like in-laws. Or I make for you know the older crowd that comes over for dinner. Yeah. That may or may not be cocktail savvy. Yeah. You know, you make them a painkiller and you light some cinnamon and nutmeg on fire and they just lose their fucking minds. It's, it was the, that was the original tiki drink that was, you know, in addition to being like at Smuggler's Cove, I was getting painkillers and at Smuggler's Cove they have, the, they have like the three levels of painkillers. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is great. And it's just more rum. Uh-huh. Like, you know, uh-huh. it's just, oh, you want two ounces, four ounces or six ounces of rum. <laughs> um, and and it's one that I, I do have a special place in my heart for. And, and actually recently I had a friend reach out who was at Jungle Bird in Sacramento and we had a painkiller. I was like, I want to get another drink. And so I asked the bartender, you know, what's like a painkiller, but not that. Ended up getting, um, oh, totally like the vodka one with the cream in it as well. The Chi-Chi. The Chi-Chi. She got a Chi-Chi. And then was like super disappointed that it wasn't the same. I was like, Yeah. It's it, a different drink. It's vodka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you really like the painkiller, get another one. Yeah. You know, keep going with the well, painkillers. Chi Chi is great, but I, I wouldn't agree. go from, I would not go from painkiller to Chi Chi. Well, unfortunately, that's, that was that's that, a wrong, wrong. That, that was the that's path like going that they were from down. like Napa Cab to 
Alsatian Pinot Gris or something like that. Like, this is the wrong direction to move. Yeah, so, so they were pretty disappointed, but I was like, just stay in your lane if that's what you want. Um, Planner's Punch from 1937. Yeah, dog. The Polynesian Paralysis. Don't know it. The Port Light. Don't know it. The Royal Hawaiian Mai Tai from 1953. I believe that's where most of like what we call like the 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 modern day Mai Tai. The modern day Mai Tai. The that's pineapple, orange juice, yep. grenadine. Right. That's like, like where that kind of comes from. Yeah, that is. You know, I remember having a conversation with with somebody about the Mai Tai about how it is the most bastardized drink in in cocktail history. Uh, I think rum enthusiasts like to say that. Okay, I'm saying it right now. What yeah. do you think is worse? What drink has been changed the most and has so many different iterations of it across the board? An old fashioned. Yeah, but I mean, to me, like that, I see like two. You got either an old fashioned that's made properly or one that's made with soda water. Yeah, well, I and mean, even if you have soda water, like how much soda water? I mean, we're talking. But I that, mean, but what I'm saying is that like, girl on YouTube who put like Sprite in hers and. Right, like it. Just, I still don't not, think that was real. That wasn't real. It's, but you know what I mean, like, yeah. like you either you have a 1944 mai tai or you've got one with juice in it. Like it's not that crazy. I but I don't just I don't agree with you there because I think mai tai I mean, what is else? A, is a name. Like I will start going through some of my photos and I will show you pictures of what people call the mai tai, and it'll blow your fucking mind. I think yeah, you're right. I think you're, you're not... right. There's two. There's the 44 and there's the Hawaiian. Those are the two prominent ones. But I have seen things on this. I'm like, I can't believe you're calling this a Mai Tai. <laughs> like, what is happening right yeah. now? And I, I remember going to one place um, in Santa Cruz. And I looked at their list. And I was with my boss at the time, and with Robert. And, and I was like, I looked at this. And I was like, oh, I am not ordering any drinks here. Like, I think I got like a beer or something. And he ordered a drink. And, and it was awful. <laughs> and I, he was just like, how do you know? Like, I was like, I told you not to order drinks here. And he was just like... I was like, well, have you been here before? I was like, no. He said, well, how'd you know? I was like, I looked at what they put in their Mai Tai. And I was like, you shouldn't order any drink here. If that's what you think goes in a Mai Tai. I mean, was it like muddled mint or some shit? Like what? We'll look at oh. we'll look it up and because I'm sure it's available somewhere online. Okay. And right. it was it was horrible. Um, okay, so rum barrel, Saturn. It's one of my favorite drinks. Oh, I love Saturns. Uh, the Scorpion. Yeah, the shrunken the shrunken skull. Shrunken skull too. Suffering bastard. Another one yes. of my favorites. Test pilot. Yeah. Three dots in a dash. Yep, absolutely agree. And then rounding it out, the zombie. Yeah. How's the zombie the last one? That's well, crazy. I think it's I just, maybe just I, alphabetical. It's, um, that's 100% what it was. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that is 100%. Oh, there you was, go. It took us a while to get there. It was just just that. Um, so so those are the things that he considers. Uh, you know, I'm surprised that, that there's no like, well, I guess, it, again, it depends on how you define tiki, right? Like there, I guess there's and there's some, a And there's a section on that, which yeah, I think is great. There are some, we'll say tropical drinks, I guess, or, like, yeah. you know, yeah. I guess and then, if it comes from the Caribbean, it's not. And, the, and that part except, is covered in the book. You got to pick it up. Yeah, all right. Um, and then, so then from here... He gets into the rum section, okay? okay? And again, remember, we're operating underneath 30 cocktails. Oh, so 30 part. rums? Well, no, no, no. No, no, no. This is awesome. So then he does, like, aged Jamaican rum. We're going to talk about that, right? 14 out of the 30 drinks has that. Oh, dope. Lightly aged filtered rum, 11 out of the 30. Oh, that. cool. And then it goes on and on. Aged Demerara, 5 out of 30. Overproof Demerara, 4 out of 30. 
unaged uh, Jamaica proof. Oh, so he just optional. breaks it down so that way you know, like, if you buy at least these first, like, four yeah. sections, you're yes. going to cover most of your ground. Yeah, so, like, gin is going to be in four out of the 30. So you're like, well, I'm Great. not going to do any gin. Well, we got this. Great. But, you know, it's like, yeah. but there but there you go. You so got to Saturn. So it kind of gives you that. Then it gets into your liqueurs and your, and your bitters. So, like, the Flernum. Surprisingly, only nine. You That's think, not that surprising. You would think more. Okay, but, well. There well, Falernum's a Caribbean a Caribbean uh, concoction. Hmm. And if a lot of Caribbean drinks don't fall into what's considered tiki, yeah. that makes sense. That, there you go. Um, Orjat, 7 out of 30. Totally. Okay, Orjat, probably one of my favorite, most mispronounced like mm-hmm. liqueur spirit-based mm-hmm. things ever. Well, it's, first of all, if you're saying Orjat, that all... Also, is a it's French, right? So Orja, Orja. Oh, so the hard T is the not hard there. Hard T for American, you know the T's on there. Yeah, uh, but there are people who say Orgeet. Orgeet is my favorite one. Yeah, and like when I hear people that I respect say that, I'm like, where did you miss that lesson? My favorite uh, experience was um, sitting with uh, uh, here in Sacramento, Jen uh, Koyo. She was giving a lecture on her syrups, and there was someone in the um, <laughs> someone in the crowd who was doubling down on mispronouncing it. Uh-huh. And Jen was trying to be very kind with pronouncing it properly. Yeah, and it, and they were just going back and forth with their pronunciations, but just having a conversation, and it was lovely. I mean, and you, you just want to smack your head or smack the other person's head and be like, look, <laughs> this person makes this. You need to shut up and just pronounce it at yeah. least the way that they pronounce it. Yeah, take the L and move on yeah, with your life. Yeah, and just stop doubling down. It was oh, pretty, pretty is, entertaining. That is so funny. Yep. Um, so that is the minimalist tiki. And that's the very, great. like, and I mean, obviously, I've told you almost nothing about it, but enough to hopefully get people interested in it. Oh, I, I will tell you, it's a it's a beautiful hardcover book that you got in front of you. Yeah. Um, the, the I as, want it. The aesthetics are beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. you know, right here on the back. It's a $35 purchase here. SRP. So, um, so yeah, check it out. I, I don't, I don't know if... Like you could sell them here. Maybe that's a conversation we can reach out to Matt and see if he. I can would love that if he, if he if he'd be down. I would definitely carry him. Yeah, so I'm definitely um, trying to pick up the book collection that I have here. We sell books pretty pretty well, which again, um, you know, re uh, reinvigorates my faith in humanity when people buy books. <laughs> that's know, awesome. Pretty great. Well, I, I I know for myself this year I was trying to trying to find some books on European wines and I got some really great suggestions. So they're out there. Yeah. There's a lot of good books you can get. I mean, your collect- my collection personally is, you know, it's out of control right now. But when you see something like this, like it really is a, it's such a beautiful book and we will have a picture of it up on the social medias for you guys to know what, what we're talking about. Um, but uh, hopefully Chris, you can get it here. So mm-hmm. one thing that we did talk about last week was the great question that we want to ask people when they come on. And our good friend, Buddy Newby, was going to come on tonight. And then family uh, got in the way. He had to feed his kids, which, you know, hungry kids. Weird. Got to make it happen. So we're going to tackle that next week. I do want you guys to know that we had planned on having Buddy on. And he's also a huge fan of Havana Club 7. So we're going to send him a picture of him missing out on that. Yeah, make him jealous. But, you know, the, the true way to sign off on this show is to share another damning story about Mr. Brad Peters. That's right. So, 
What is this week's little tidbit about Brad Peters? So in years and years of me traveling with Mr. Brad Peters, uh, we would share hotel rooms on a regular basis. One of my favorite experiences of Brad is his ability to uh, just say, screw it and order room service. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever willfully ordered room service without someone else sort of like leading the way that's, you're 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 an anti-room service yeah, person it's just it's i don't want to pay for, uh, for that markup on the food it's pretty unreal especially in the days of like doordash now yeah when like i that. can just go downstairs to whatever the hotel restaurant is or that yeah you know uh it, obviously room service happens at 2 a.m 3 a.m when the restaurant's already closed right so there's a premium there i'll get gi- i'll give them that uh, but Brad's sort of coup de gras is is ordering room service at 3 a.m. when we get home from, you know, whatever event we're doing, whoever we're hanging out with, uh, a long night of uh, booty shaking at whatever country bar, or whatever it is that we've done for the night. Yeah. And, uh, and ordering that room service, falling asleep. Waking up 15 minutes later, realizing that he's hungry, and ordering same room service again. <laughs> only to wake, only to be woken up by each delivery of the same order. Oh my god! It's lovely. And so uh, this is this is numerous times. Oh, this is plenty of times. Uh, so much so that his wife now watches the credit cards whenever he's on the road. Uh, to see, just to see how many identical purchases there are. To watch how many times he has ordered room service. My guess is that he's gotten better about this. Yeah. But I wouldn't give him that. I will say, I, I'll uh, say this. My I, guess is that his wife has gotten better about it and she calls him out more on it. And therefore he he knows that he'll get in trouble. I, I uh, had this really interesting conversation with her recently where we were talking about DoorDash and these different food services because we live very close to each other. Sure. And just like the different options that we really don't have out there. And she goes, she's like, yeah, it's really tough when I go out of town because Brad just orders DoorDash all week. All the time. All week. Yep. And he's like, the kid, that's all the kids eat. All week is all day. He doesn't make a single thing. No. Nope. It's like he's on vacation when <laughs> like he's out of town when I leave town. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. It's just like, so I don't, I don't think that's changed. He definitely has those, those same impulses um, to, you know, really lean on somebody bringing him food. And to be fair, I, I do have one. I remember one day I went to one of our like Christmas parties a few years back, you know, in this industry where um, we had already passed out, but one of my buddies I was rooming with had ordered like two extra large pizzas that we all woke up to completely unconsumed the next day. So, I mean, they were, we, we eventually consumed Well, it's like, pizza. Like, yeah, it's pizza. God damn it. It's that's just That stuff It's like fried chicken. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's cold. <laughs> it was great. So, um, so that's our Bradism. Well, the, I think the moral of the story, though, is that Lindsay, Lindsay Peters is a goddamn saint. Oh, it's, it's unfair just yeah. how, how great of a person she is. That's right. And, and we're going to continue to say Lindsay Peters is amazing just yeah. the way she doesn't tell Brad that we're talking shit about him. <laughs> and you know, it's, uh, I've, I've started to get more and more feedback from people, which, by the way, like if you listen to the show, like let us know. We have the proof that people listen. That's like, right. The numbers are actually pretty rad. Like we're, we're really excited about it. And when I run into people, I'm starting to hear like from different people that they listen. And I love that. And 
And I just we appreciate any feedback that we can get. If and you there have was, a Brad story, yeah, God damn it, please share. It we'll, with us. we'll share it with us. But then also, I've heard the stories of like I was spending time with Brad, and I wanted to tell him <laughs> so bad, but they resisted. <laughs> oh, that's great because they want to keep hearing <laughs> stories of Brad Peters and or his hijinks. That's and, wonderful. And I just wonder like how because we're what on like week three or four of this of like having these discussions <laughs> about him. I'm like at what point does it become detrimental to our relationship that like when we actually like when it comes when he does listen or anything like that and he has to go through like three months of listening to kind of like what did, <laughs> what did you guys say about me for the past three months? It's that nothing that I haven't already said to him. And that's and that's true. And and, and the only was, thing that makes this more wonderful is that he can't share the stories about us. Right. Wait till, but I think he's the type of person that he'll, like he'll start his own podcast just to be like Brad, shit, <laughs> Brad shits on Chris and Drew. This week's episode. <laughs> Go ahead and do that. I think I think at some point in time, once once he learns that this is happening, yeah, we'll allow him to come on to this show and defend himself and defend himself as well as share stories about us. Oh, that's fair. Unapologetically, God. just let him rip. And I, you know, he's I, he's gonna have more stuff on you, but I'm sure without gonna, a doubt, you know, he's gonna he might have a couple tidbits or he'll tap into that. Well, uh, also, I'm low hanging fruit. You are, yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. But but again, the, <laughs> it's not like I'm this great redeeming person either. I mean, I was put on blast like everybody keep drunk Drew away for that's right for his trip back home from Miami yeah, from Congress. Right. Um, You're welcome, so, Caitlin. Yeah, so you know, you guys. Again, uh, thank you so much for listening. Go rate us on um, on Apple iTunes. Uh, share it with your friends. I think I think we're figuring this out. We're having fun with it. Hopefully, you're having fun with it. Um, hopefully, we'll get Buddy Newbie on soon. Yeah, you know, and we'll see what happens. I know we have a couple other people who want to be on that. We are definitely going to have you on. We've already, we've already talked about it. You know who you are. Um, yeah, it's nice gonna... that they finally started listening to the show. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, hey, that's we'll, pretty we'll, great. We'll take it. Um, so, with all that said, cheers, buddy. All right, woohoo, rum, rum, more rum. The Good Bottle Podcast was recorded at The Good Bottle Shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Chase Moore. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Good Bottle Podcast.